Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I just want to look at you right now because I'm old, and once I put these readers on, I will see you. For, so you can go to sleep in the next little half hour or whatever, because once these readers are on, I cannot see you out there. So I'll just look and smile and, te- and teach this morning, but I won't be able to see you. So you're a great-looking group, and you're just like Jeff. Well, they're almost as pretty as you, you bragged on them and said that they were. So uh, It's an honor to be here with you this morning. We have a long history of being connected to Meadowview Baptist um, um, throughout the years. So I have great respect for Pastor Al. Um, and I'm one of these people that I cry a little bit. Okay, maybe I cry a lot. And so if I cry and I do this kind of stuff, you'll just have to forgive me. But I get that from my dad, I think, because he every time he would teach or preach, he, he would get a little emotional. And, and I, as I sat there, I stood there and listened to worship this morning, two things. Um, your worship team um, chose songs that tendered my heart towards the things of God. And so um, I think a lot of times we come into God's house and, and our hearts are so hardened and, and just bothered by the things of the world that we just, we just sit there and we intake wisdom that is given to us, but we don't digest it or let it settle on fertile soil. And so each week when we open up and we pray at Westwood, we ask that, that God would give us ears to hear and ultimately eyes to see Jesus. Not an individual, not a group of individuals, but ultimately Christ because he is indeed our only hope. But we have great respect, or I have great respect for Pastor Al. Number one, he's a great golfer. You may cheat a little bit, but he's a good golfer. But, but here's what he's done that you should be proud of. And if you're new to Meadowview, this is what you should know. Is that a lot of guys come to, to churches that are rural churches, and they, they use them as stepping stones, or, then they, or they use them as places to build their own empire. And that's not what Pastor Al did. What I've seen Pastor Al do that I'm so thankful for, in our community, in Cleveland, Bradley County, with 200-plus churches, and Lord knows how, how many Hamilton County has, I don't know. But for men like Al who would preach, pray, and stay, and that be led by the God and lead you guys towards God, towards the mission of God, and I think that's an, that's an honorable thing. And so, Al, I, I'm so grateful for what you've done here at Meadowview. And I also um, am grateful that you've allowed um, young men to come in and pass the baton to them and still stay and support and come alongside him for the tough times that, that will happen and the good times to celebrate as well, too. And so I'm grateful for, for what you have done here, and I'm grateful for how you've walked alongside my brother. And so, um, Meadow, you have a great, great opportunity in front of you in reaching this, this community. And you know that, especially if you're new here, maybe God's led here, you here because you've looked at a lot of other churches. And Lord knows you can shop around for churches all you want in this area because we're inundated with them. But what you will know about here, and I'm not the guy that's been paid to call, come in and tell you all this about Meadowview. I'm just telling you from, from our workout you know, that we do like once every two weeks is that we talk, it's more therapeutic than it is for our physical uh, prowlessness. Now, Jeff's younger than me and still slim and all that kind of stuff, but, but what we do is we talk about ministry together because ministry is difficult, but we also get to brag on what God's doing in our midst in the ministry of our churches. And as Jeff has bragged on you guys, I feel like I've been here and I haven't been here it's in years, but because he's bragged on you and he's been grateful for what God's done um, in your life here. And so you have a great uh, future in front of you. Andrew Kahn, who was here as a youth pastor before, came out of Westwood, and now he's on the, the West Coast. And then Jonathan, who's here now, who Jonathan's mother and, and father went to Westwood for a season before uh, God 
called his mother home at a very early age. Actually, she was coming to one of our Sunday school functions at, at that point in time. And so, Jonathan, I know that, um, uh, that your mom would be proud of you, that your dad is as well, too. And uh, I've heard great things about you. And so I know the Lord's going to use you here at Meadowview alongside with Jeff and others, too. So, so stay the course, brother. And also, my pastor sends you a message for the business ethics class. He said, you better take it in person because the online version is harder. So just, just FYI, public service there for you. So, um, But this morning, I do want to bring you a little, just a little nugget from Westwood Pass that you'll appreciate this morning. I don't really think I have to say a lot about this. And so if we, I brought one slide today. I'm not the slide guy. Jeff's the slide guy. But we have one slide from Westwood that... Just drink it in for a minute. Wow, he looks like a little, he looks like a Caucasian Urkel. You remember from that group, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> wow. And then he bloomed into the handsome young man that he is today. So, thank God for, for um, church directories, right? I can't tell you how many times we go back and look at those and go, what were we thinking? What, you know, um, I've been at Westwood since I was five, um, the Lord led my family there, and, and I'm 53 now, so I've been there a long time. But about 15, a little over 15 years ago, they decided I wasn't going anywhere. And so they, they uh, Steve Best, the pastor at the time, called me on staff there to be the education pastor. And, and so I'm not really the executive pastor anymore. We, we kind of moved from that, although I have a corporate background and with Georgia Pacific and corporate sales and management for a number of years. But 15 years ago, God just kind of wrecked my world and said, I'm not that's not what I want you to do anymore. I've got a different path for you. And, and I said, okay, I, I think I can do this, or I think we can do this. And boy, I tell you what, it has been a journey. And Jeff was there for part of it. And what a, um, a close tie that we built because of that journey there. But the difficult times in ministry are the things that may not define your ministry, but I'm just going to tell you as a pastor and as leaders in Sunday school and, and as a church body, it will, it will refine you and it will define you on how you act in those different times. And so um, it, it, while it may stink sometimes, just know and trust that in the midst of the stuff <laughs> that God is still at work. And so that's really the message that, of the gospel for us. In the midst of our lostness, there was something at work that we may have not recognized at that point in time, but was in, in the midst of drawing you to him and, and bringing you and reconciling you to this God who loves you so much and who wants to glorify himself through you even in the midst of the difficult times. Well, this morning I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, this, this, this part of Scripture, I just love it um, because it beats me up and reminds me of I'm not that awesome, uh, but then it reminds me of what God has done when he has brought redemption to me and to us. And so, I don't know about you, um, but the biggest obstacle for me in life is me. The person that I see in the mirror every day. Just a quick story. I, I went with some men out to uh, Colorado um, one time for a men's conference. And we went out there to, to, to just as a Wild at Heart conference. It was part of the book. And it was really a kind of a good season. And I took about uh, seven or eight guys from our church out there. And so all of the, a lot of these guys had been out there. And a lot of them had gone skiing and stuff like that. And never went snow skiing. Barely water skied. Uh, but never no, snow skiing. So I was convinced I was going to be riding on the snowmobile with some friends. And so in the middle of that journey, somehow one of my other friends said, no, you need to go skiing. We're out here in the midst of all, you know. And so I got caught up in the moment. So we go to Walmart or wherever and buy me everything because I, I need to look the part. 
because no matter what tomorrow looks like, I need to look the part. You know, it's kind of like golf. It's I always tried to dress like a golfer. Even if I wasn't a good golfer, I just wanted to look the part. You know, that's just half the battle, right? And so we did all of that. We went out the next day. I went, I had another friend. There, I had a plethora of guys who just were willing to help me in this journey, evidently. And so this one guy goes, I'm going to take him to the bunny slope for a little while. I'm going, okay. Not sure what all that means. I could just see me and preschoolers there. But, but anyway, we got there, and, and it was me and some preschoolers there. But I learned how to, to stand up, get off the lift. That's a major thing. Um, stop, big thing. Turn, big thing, right? Because I'm thinking of all this. If this doesn't go well, I was thinking of like Sonny Bono and the Kennedy and all those that got killed on the slope, you know, because they ran into to trees. Trees don't move. And so when I was just thinking, this could happen to me. And so I was really trying to pay attention. So I spent the first half of the day on the bunny slope. And I was awesome. I was like in that position, you know. And I'm going like, you know, 0.2 miles an hour down through there. And getting on and off the, off the, the lift after I push these kids out of the way, you know. And it's like, you know, I'm just feeling this. And so at lunchtime, we're all uh, around the table. And, and my friend said, I think he's okay. I think we can, he's, can go on a green slope. Green slope means not bad, supposedly. The black is where I wanted to stay away from. I just knew those things. Blue is in there somewhere. But, but we said, okay, we'll take him to the, on, on the green slope. We'll all go with him. Sounds okay to me. I'm looking at this picture of the mountain, though. I'm looking at the, you know how they have all the ski slopes and they're designated on there? I'm looking at those and I'm going, okay, that, that kind of looks like a long way up there. But maybe it's a flat long way because the bunny slope was pretty flat. I mean, it had a little bit of a, a grade to it, but not much. And so we get on this thing and we go all the way to the top of the mountain. Now that was a long ride. So about halfway up, I'm getting a little nervous. And so the first thing that happens when we get off of the, the, uh, uh, the lift is I start to fall. I look like either a drunk guy coming out of a bar or Bambi on ice or whatever, you know. And so they're holding me up, you know, and I'm like, okay, not a good start, but I'm okay. Because you're trying to be cool and all this too because there's thousands of people there, you know, doing the, doing the ski thing. And so I see this first level of the green slope and it, and it goes and it goes down, and I'm going, that's a big thing right there. So in my mind, I'm going, this is not going well. Started going, could go to the right, could not turn to the left. Okay? Stop, fall over. Go to the left, could not, you know, could turn a little bit. I mean, I was just having problems with my turner. And so I was like, this is not going well because I'm 100 yards down. This is 30 minutes in. And I think the whole time of the slope was maybe a 30-minute deal on the way down. Well, three hours later... I get down, I mean, I'm almost down at two and a half hours later. The guy who talked me in stuck with me. But at one point in time, I'm laying there, and these kids with no poles are zipping around me like little flies, you know, or water, you know, those water spider things. And I just wanted to stab one of them like a meatball, you know, just because I was so frustrated. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I was not quoting scripture most of the way down. It was not, I a lot of repentance going on after that. But at the end of the day, my friend says to me, he goes, um, I got an idea. Because see, he was there to ski up and down three or four times a day that day because they paid money for it. We all paid money for it. He goes, "Why don't you get behind me and hold on to my waist and we'll ski into where everybody is, right? Everybody's waiting to go back up the mountain." Well, you're kidding me. There is no way I'm doing getting behind you and doing that. And these little kids are zipping around me. I said, "You know, stop the ski patrol or something like that." When they wouldn't stop for me, they had some lady with a broken leg. Kept going. You know, I'm like, throw her out, take me down, we'd be fine. But, but nonetheless, at the end of that day, the biggest obstacle to, to me, I mean, to, to getting down that hill and not dying was me. I mean, I had some, I had some instruction, and I kind of knew what I was supposed to do, but I was not able 
to pull it off. And so uh, at the end of the day, I looked in the mirror and I'm going, this was not a wise decision. And my friend who went snowmobiling reminded me, oh, you should have been with us. We had a great time. On the, you know, nobody got killed. Nobody and so that was a bad decision. I don't know about you, but my life is peppered full of bad decisions. Sometimes I know, that I think I know, I know that I know what to do, and then I pull the trigger on it, and I find out in the midst of it, maybe this wasn't exactly what I was supposed to do. Maybe I had a little bit too much of me in the mixture. Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, and we'll just kind of talk this through. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this, starting with verse 1, and we'll stop at verse 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, that were, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word this morning. I've got nothing uh, to share with these folks other than the hope that comes from your word this morning. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead and guide my thoughts and our thoughts together, Father, as we hear from your word this morning. And may your word fall upon fertile ground of our souls and soul of our souls, Father, that would continue to transform us into the image and the likeness that you desire for our lives. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Well, we realize this. This is some of this is going to be big red truck statements to you this morning. We live in a fallen world. If you don't know that, just turn on the news, right? Or go to Walmart. And you can see all of the fallenness of humanity that takes place around us constantly. And we recognize that that when we look in Genesis that when the fall took place there, we recognize that that there was a trajectory that was set out of Genesis that that we still live with today. And we realize that that, that it, my mom will say to me all the time as she watches the news, she goes, Paul, when's it going to get better? You know, when's this going to stop? Oh, Mom, there, there are seasons of peace. But the Bible teaches us that this is going to continue to get more difficult, especially for those who are Christ followers. But this world, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, but how it is manifest and displayed to us is endless in how uh, people can come up with the perversions and, and just the, the, the fallenness of humanity. And in that fallenness is sin, you go, okay, another message on sin. I don't know anything else to tell you, but that the, the thing that separates us from, from the holy God who, who loves us and wants to bring us to himself so much is sin. And sin is the very thing that, that happened in the garden. You know, you, you realize that, that was even, even that scenario in Genesis was part of, the, part of God's great wisdom there. You know, he, the Holy Spirit and Jesus didn't wake up that morning when Adam and Eve took the, the fruit of the, the tree and go, what are we going to do now, Right? He had a plan before the foundations of the earth that this would take place, and this was what would take place post that. Jesus wasn't the secondary answer. Jesus was the answer, and it came from the foundations of the earth when it pleased God to, to take 
us through this journey. Now listen, I, I, I sometimes don't like the fact that, that God does what he does and he doesn't consult me. And that God does what he does and it doesn't make me comfortable. And that God does what he does and I don't like the results of it. But what I do know is the God that I know that I can trust him. And that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that he will never leave me or he will never forsake me. But he did not tell me that he would bring me to salvation through Christ Jesus and put me on this little primrose path of, of rose petals and everything's going to be hunky-dory. So if somebody sells you salvation that way, then you need to, you need to move on to the next church because that's not, the, that's not the goal of salvation. The goal of salvation is sanctification, meaning making you more like Christ, meaning that you and I live in the tension of conforming to this world or being transformed by knowing God's Word. And the problem with us the, as Christians and Cleveland, Bradley County, the bubble that we live in, we were just talking about this morning, is that we can learn how to do church and not be the church. So you can grow up and have great Sunday school, great youth group, great adult teaching, whatever it is, go on senior adult trips and all those kind of things that you do and, and just be a part of a church and miss the whole essence of what God's called the church to be. And that's the obstacle. And if you'd be honest with yourself, which I'm sure you are, the person that you look in the mirror every day is the person that's going to challenge you the most. You can put it on the devil and he's a component out there, and he is alive, and he wants to destroy your life and your testimony. But he's not the one that makes the decisions for you. You are. I am. And I'm that guy that I struggle with every day. Paul says, I'm the guy that, he said, I do, I don't, it's the things I want to do, I don't do. And then I find myself doing the things that I shouldn't do, I, I do those. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from, from this flesh? Well, Christ is the rescue. The Holy Spirit is the one to lead and guide us. He's the one that we press into. Not what CNN says, what not what Fox says, what not what your, your, your teacher at your college that, that is supposedly Christian but is so far from Christ and teaching you some kind of gibberish stuff that you don't press in and believe them. You set under their authority, under their teaching, but you don't compromise your life to what they're trying to guide you to do. Just like anything else. If I, I worked for a guy for a number of years in a corporate setting, lost as a goose. But what God told me is, is that I placed you under his authority. You are to walk in such a way that you reflect Christ to this man. And he is not in charge of your raises. I am. You work hard. I'll take care of the rest. Easy to say in the quiet little church on Sunday morning. Hard to live out. But that's the truth. Either you trust him or you don't. And so in this, Paul is saying to us, we've been, we've been alienated from, from God. And God's will for our lives, can I just tell you this this morning? It's not some real heebie-jeebie kind of thing that we've got to come up with, God's will for your life. God's will for your life and my life is that we be reconciled to him through Christ Jesus and you and I walk in obedience. There are books and books and books written about God's will. And sometimes people make it sound like it's a tightrope. And then others seem to make it sound like the Grand Canyon. I, I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I will tell you that God's word teaches us is that you walk in obedience to the scriptures. That's my will for your life. Students, you want to figure out what's going to be next in your life? You just start there and understand and study God's word and ask him to lead and guide you. He'll give you the next step. You don't need 10 steps. I know I plan 20 years out, 10 years out, 5 years out. I get all that. There are plans, but those are plans of man. And those plans hopefully are directed by God, but guess what? Don't be married to those plans. Because God will change those plans just to show you that you missed it a little bit and he's still God. And he has a greater purpose in there. And so today, as we realize that, you know, I, I really kind of 
hate to say this sometimes because it's kind of how I was brought up, but I really kind of rebel against this. It's like, you know, we're just sinners saved by grace. Well, yes, we are. But if you look into the, to the scriptures in the New Testament, Paul never says you're sinners after you've been brought to Christ. He calls them saints. Now, I'm not elevating you into something. Don't come in with robes next week and little halos and all that. But, but there's a positional change in there. And if you just go and walk around all the time like, oh, I'm just a sinner, I'm a, you, you realize you act out what you believe about yourself. And if you read the scriptures, you'll realize you're not that awesome, but you'll realize that there was somebody that was more awesome than you can imagine who is engaged in your life and planted his spirit in there and given you the ability to learn his word. Man, there's guys that I run into all the time. They don't read the word. Man, they'll read the scripture, they'll read the sports page and count it as the scriptures, but they'll say, I can't read the word. I'm going, when's the last time you picked up the word, brother? You're supposed to be leading your household in the ways of God. And you can take them to a Braves game and tell them all the statistics about the guys there, but you're not going to pick up the word and help your kids understand why, why they don't do, they're not supposed to do what you tell them to do. Not, not just for the sake of don't do that, but don't do that because that's a reflection on your, your testimony. Or don't do that because that's a reflection on the lack of holiness in your life. The church wants to get well. You don't have to come a new program from Lifeway. The church wants to get well. This is, the, this is what helps the church to be well. Hey, we're broken vessels that God's chose to pour himself through. Man, if you just look at yourself sometimes and you go, wow, you chose me to teach a Sunday school class, five-year-olds or 65-year-olds or whatever it is. Listen, it's that humility that you walk in and you go, but by the grace of God, you lead and guide me, Holy Spirit, into your scriptures. Help me to, to teach it to the best of my ability. You'll recognize that throughout the scriptures, God didn't choose the superheroes. If you look at the disciples, what a bumbling group of goobers, right? That he chose to, to pour himself through and change the world. We are them, right? And so Paul in this scripture right here is saying to us, let's just read this, this first part and we'll break it down. Sorry, get a little excited about this. But in Ephesians, the first three verses here, the reality is the sin that we have to deal with, it diminishes life. It brings death into our life. So the first three verses, he said, you were dead in, in the, the trespasses and sin. You know what that is? Dead, right? Dead to the things of God. And left to yourself and left to myself, we would never choose God. We would choose more of us. Exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They chose what they wanted and how they wanted. They had, listen, they had one, one rule. Don't eat of that tree, right? You had one job, right? And you go, oh, how hard would that be? We would have done the same thing. Because left to ourselves, void of God intervening in our lives, we would want more of us. So the people who end up going to hell are, are this is a hard statement, but they're, they're getting what they want. And you go, well, that just sounds really neat. No, what they want is more of them. And more of them being Lord of their lives. And so they're going to find out that the eternity, or that, that season of life that they've lived on this earth serving themselves is just exactly what they're going to get, only they're going to have a revelation of understanding that they needed something great, greater than their desires, separated for him, separated from him for eternity. That's horrible. That's horrible. And we kick it around and flip it around, and people, you know, we have two different... Uh, 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 marquee people who just in recent weeks have said they're leaving the faith. Joshua Harris, who's I Kiss Dating Goodbye, that many people used for a number of years to help guide their students through the dating life. A Hillsong guy this week that I'm not really that familiar with. But, but okay, if you're choosing to do that, get off your platform and quit saying, I'm leaving the faith, right? 
Because what I would say is if that's so easy for you to do now, maybe you didn't know Jesus before. Maybe you knew him like a historical figure, like I know about Abraham Lincoln, but I don't know Abraham Lincoln because he died years before me. But you know what? If you know Jesus, you can, the, the scripture says you can know him in a personal way because of his scriptures here and because of the Holy Spirit. And if, if you really know him, while you'll get frustrated at times, you're not going to walk away from him. Matter of fact, when you get frustrated, you're going to cry out to him and go, help me, help my unbelief. It's so popular just to kind of kick it around and go, well, I'm an atheist and where are these things? Listen, I, I, d- I doubt there's, a, there's a, truly an atheist. Because the scriptures say in, first, uh, in the first chapter of Romans that it is written throughout the world. It is written upon the heart of people when God created us. They know there's a God. Well, you can just deny him and put all the t-shirts on and all the hashtags on Twitter you want to. But down deep, when you put your head on the pillow, while you may still be foolish in your thinking, you know that there is a creator, God creator. And Paul reminds us of this. He goes, this is, this is who we were. We are those people. He said, he said, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of dis- disobedience, among who we all once lived. He's telling the church of Ephesus, this is who you were prior to. Living out the passions of our flesh. James Montgomery Boyce says it like this. He says, like a spiritual corpse, a sinner is unable to make a single move towards God. Think a single thought about God or even correctly respond to God unless God is first present to bring the spiritually dead person to life, which is what Paul says he does. Paul David Tripp says this. This is my last quote for for you today. But listen to this and just see if this resonates with you. Back to the person that you struggle with the most, being you. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. Whatever you realize, whether you realize it or not, you are in an unending conversation with yourself. And the things you say about you are formative of the way that you live. You're constantly talking to yourself about your identity, your spirituality, your functionality, your emotionality, your mentality, your personality, your relationships, and ongoing. You're constantly preaching to yourself some kind of gospel. You preach to yourself an anti-gospel of your own self-righteousness, power, and wisdom, or you preach to yourself the true gospel of deep spiritual need and sufficient grace. You preach to yourself an anti-gospel of aloneness and the inability, or you preach to yourself the true gospel of the presence, provisions, and power of an ever-present Christ. Smack dab in the middle of your internal conversation is what you tell yourself about your identity. Human beings are always assigning to themselves some kind of identity. They're either, they're, there are only two places that you'll look for your identity. Either you'll be getting your identity vertically from who you are in Christ, or you'll be shopping for it horizontally in the situations, experiences, and relationships of your daily life. And that's so true. Our life is lived out. You know, you say, well, this sounds like an old corny uh, youth uh, rally type of deal. It's like it's lived out in, in the... Uh, design of the cross but it truly is our life is lived out from the vertical and the horizontal there there are those things that hinder our walk with god those obstacles they're either they're either hindering the vertical or hindering the horizontal if you think about it so obstacles or relationship with god can be these things and there's a whole list of things but there's some that i just want to drill down on just for a couple of moments here this morning is your 
Obstacles to our relationship to God can be these things. Idolatry. We think of the Cecil B. DeMille's film of the, the Ten Commandments, you know, and then making the golden calf and all that, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be the good things that God has given to you. It could be the good things, one pastor would say, that are elevated to God things that make them bad things. It could be your kids. Sometimes you, need, sometimes you may need to go home and fire the little CEO in the corner office that's running your family because God didn't design them to, to do that. God didn't design them to, to make all the decisions in there. That's your job, mother and father. And sometimes you just have to go home and fire them and tell them they've been replaced and, uh, and, and move forward because if your kids or your grandkids, if you idolize them and you elevate them to be everything that, that ha- is good in your life, they'll be crushed under the weight of your expectations. Your wife was not designed to be that. Your husband was not to, designed to be that. Your job was not designed to be that. Your, your church activity can become idolatrous. It's like, look at me. Look how many patches I got on my Iwana vest. Or look how many times I never miss church service. Or you know, whatever it is. That takes a good thing, elevates it to a God thing, which makes it a bad thing. The other thing is not making time for God in our lives. We are busy people, right? We, we have iPhones, uh, MacBooks, PCs, whatever it is, and we think, man, we're more productive. My wife works from home now. She used to work in the office, and, and, and she works you know, you know, in her PJs or at late at night or whatever, and, and she is more productive because she is in front of that computer a lot more. But, but our lives have become a lot more busy, not just efficient. And, and here's the thing that we need to just kind of, this is a sidebar for us, is that we need to be careful of in the church is the way that, that um, information is sent to us now in smaller tidbits, it is a chore to read. It's, there's Bible app after Bible app after Bible app, and, and there's devotion app. You need to be able to, to read. I, I don't mean like read the words, understand the words. I mean read in uh, more than 140 characters or whatever Twitter's up to now. You, you need to be able to read. It's hard. If you're going to get through college... You need to read. It's hard. I'm still doing college courses too. It's, it's hard. But we've created a society that's like, give me that information right now. Click, click, click. Now, can God work in that? Absolutely, God can work in that. But we need to be careful as a church and not say, I can't, I can't read this. You know, and let this become just a, a bunch of little snippets. And I'm appreciative of, of the devotionals that are out there. But I'm just telling you, brother and sister, that the devotionals are not the replacement for this. They are components or, or helpmates to the word, but they don't replace you digging into the word, rolling up your sleeves and going, God, teach me something I'm desperate to see and hear from you. The, the, the other obstacle that we tend to deal with in the church a lot is unforgiveness. We do, if we do not forgive, we can't experience the true forgiveness that God offers to us. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting, unless you have amnesia. You know, the old saying, forgive and forget, it's not going to happen. That's the whole point of forgiveness is you choose not to hold what this person did against them. And you have the ability to do that in Christ. Forgiveness is, is, is the root, uh, unforgiveness is the root of bitterness that will tear a church apart, tear a marriage apart, tear friendships apart. But it's an obstacle that we, we will face. And then, of course, pride. The big eye and everything is, you know, me, 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 me. Is we elevate our thoughts and our ways and our ideas above God. But then we have the obstacles that, that, that play out on the horizontal, on the day-to-day, is also um, abuse that 
we see all the time. If, if, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Addictions are rampant. The opioid crisis. I mean, okay, this is, this is not that spiritual, but I, I'm addicted to watching live PD. I'm sorry. And in that, every car they stop has some form of drug in there. Every... At every car they stop, nobody has a, nobody has a driver's license anymore, you know, and nobody nobody owns their car anymore. It's like this is my sister's cousin's brother's car, you know, and and it's like this is. Just, and I told Connie and I tell my pastor we talk about this in staff and they laugh at me because I just report on live PD every week, you know, to them. And, and I'm going. It just reminds me of the fallenness of humanity, because there, while it's funny to laugh at, sometimes it is the reality of the world that we are set up set within and so it is the world that's lost they're not on opioids because they want to be they're on opioids because they took a path made some decisions and now they're caught up in an addiction that they believe quite possibly that they cannot be delivered from and what we're saying is there are avenues through Christ Jesus and and through through counseling and through putting forth effort to be delivered from those things and that should be a source of the church Church should be the ones that are declaring that, not some government in, um, you know, entity. When's the last time they fixed something great for us? So, all that to say, it's not even 2020 and I'm making political statements. The, the obstacles for our, grace, our relationship with others is lying. We know that. Gossip and slander can tear up a church. We know that. That's, how, that's why there's 250-something churches in Cleveland and Bradley County. Is not necessarily because God called them to, to be planted. It's because so, so-and-so's family got mad at so-and-so's family and they're like, well, we'll show them. We'll go start another church. And, and so they take half of that church and go to start that church, you know, and they go, bless God, we got a new church in town. And it's like, it's just the same congregation. They just, now they have, they've just bought into two different buildings and all the costs. And anyway, I'm just telling you that we have to set the example for the world. And sometimes we are a horrible example in how we deal with each other. And so they look at us and they go, how in the world are they going to accept us with our challenges? Same-sex attractions. Alcohol. I mean, pick, pick whatever it is. Those people need hope that you have. And some of them may have had that hope at some point in time and lost it because of that addiction. And they need to be rescued, not just by Christ Jesus, but maybe by your hands going to pick them up and pull them out of the, out of the ditch. The story of the Good Samaritan should not be unique in the church. Nor does social justice take over the drive of the church. It's a component of the church and how we serve our community. So Paul's reminding us, this is who you were, lost dead people, right? Sowing to, the, to, the, to this world. But God being rich in mercy. When you see but God, things change, right? Anytime in scriptures that but God took place. That means that there was a trajectory that was not good, and then God intervened and brought it into the right trajectory of what He desired. And so in that, we have Christ Jesus, who came to reconcile a lost, rebellious people. Remember, left to ourselves, we choose more of us. Jesus said in 10, John 10.10 10, this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full, or some of your versions might say abundantly. That's not a Rolex on your wrist and a Rolls Royce in your driveway. When he says to the full, that means to the full understanding of joy in the midst of the stuff that you know that this God who created you and has placed his spirit within you is in control of all things, and that you can, contr- you can trust in him no matter how bad it gets. 
Because he's going to do whatever he's going to do for his glory and ultimately for our joy. Does it feel like that? Because my flesh doesn't like that sometimes. If I'm laying in a hospital bed and I'm struggling with cancer or something, it's hard to wake up and go, bless God, he's getting the glory and I'm getting the joy today. I get that. Easy to say these things on Sunday morning. But when they're lived out in the horizontal in the day-to-day, that's where your faith is increased. That's why the beauty of this church is that you'll come alongside each other when there are challenges like that and lift each other up. And sometimes when Jeff and I have talked about this, somebody passes away, I'm not going and quoting scripture to them. I'm just going and loving on them. So the Bible says just there's a season to go and just mourn together. But past that mourning, there's hope. And hopefully in the morning of that person, there's hope that you're able to capitalize on and go, but remember, brother or sister, this is just a separation for a season. We lost my, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law, um, in January of this year. This has been more evident to, to Connie and I than it ever has. We're only children with both of a sets of parents living locally, and, and we've really not ever lost anybody that was that close. I mean, grandparents who lived far away from us that we were close to, but not as close, not like a parent. Or not like a brother or sister. And, and, and this year we were just reminded of the brevity of life and the quickness of how death comes. But then we're also, we're also reminded of the hope past the grave. Not just something we want to feel good that, that Nana's in heaven or, or that Betty's in heaven or that John's in heaven or whatever, but that we know because of the testimony of their life that they, have, they are in the presence of God because it says to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. And so we trust in that. So that's how we walk together in life. So in this moment, we'll, we'll finish up here. I don't want to, get, I don't want to be the guy that shows up and, and keeps you late. Uh, but what I want to do this morning is finish up with the hope that we can have this morning. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're far from God, you're sitting here this morning, you go, oh, this Christian life's not panning out like I I planned it. That's good. Because if you planned it, it would stink. But here's what I would tell you. There's difficulties that happen in life. Babies die, wives, husbands leave, jobs are left. But at the end of the day, the person that you can cling to and the person that you can, can trust in is Jesus. I got nothing else to tell you today. So, but God being rich in mercy, because we were a dead, walking zombie kind of people, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you've been saved. It's not of your doing, right? And he raised us up and he placed them in heavenly places. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting on him to say, Go get my, go get my people. We are the we sang about this this morning. We are the bride waiting for the bridegroom to come to, to get us. And in that time, we are to live in such a way that we prepare ourselves for him. But then he goes on to say, so, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, because guess what? We brag so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in Christ, we are reconciled to our Heavenly Father eternally, sealed by His Holy Spirit. We are in Christ, we can walk through obedience of baptism. Baptism itself is not salvific. Baptism is a public profession of your faith. And we do it at Westwood in front of our church family because we are walking together in accountability to that person that to the best of our ability, we know proclaims 
proclaims Christ now and is regenerate. And, and we celebrate that as a church family. I would say to you, and I'm sure you do, celebrate that. Celebrate the baptisms, but, but celebrate them as God saves people. I'm not the Savior. I'm just the mail carrier. I just take the good news of the gospel. I'm not the sales guy that had to sell for Georgia Pacific. I don't have to sell the gospel. But I am compelled to tell you the good news, as Paul, is that it's the only hope that you have. And I'm also compelled to live in such a way that what I say from my mouth lines up with my life in my workplace. So don't be going to work wearing your Jesus um, T-shirts or your Meadowview T-shirts and, and, and cussing at your coworkers or cheating and stealing from your work or whatever. That's one of the things that we just have to struggle with as, as Christians. It's like, don't be putting that fish on the back of your car, especially if you're cutting me off at Walmart, you know, so, because I'm thinking you're not saved. And so, but, but we have, if that's the only way people know is your T-shirt or the fish on your car, then you're missing the point and you're not doing what God's called you to do. So Paul says to, or is reminding us in this too, is that we recover the identity that was lost in the garden as a child of God, not a child of wrath. We have not, you know, we talk about things and have movies, uh, you know, uh, that, that look really powerful, like, like that could wipe out the world. You haven't seen anything until you see the wrath of God played out on people. I don't want to see it. But we can recover ourselves through Christ Jesus from being that child of wrath. It's a positional change. And ultimately, we can walk in freedom while we resist the enemy and renounce the destruction that he seeks to bring into our lives. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.